Okay, so we are in the middle of a study of 1 John. I, maybe it's not a study of 1 John. Maybe it's a, a deep reading of 1 John, a meditation on 1 John. It's hard. Whenever I try to study 1 John, it becomes very difficult. Because when I study, I tend to want to like categorize things and outline things and make like a group of points about a, a thing. And you really can't do that in the, in, in the book, in the letter of 1 John. Because he's got some big ideas, but the big ideas are fairly simple. But he wants to say some pretty profound things about those big ideas. And he kind of just goes in circles. He goes in circles talking about this thing. So there's not a real logical progression in the, in the, in the way that like Paul would write a letter. Right? Kind of building to a to main point, right? The main points just kind of emerge here and there. And this is a main point. Right in the middle of the letter, there's this big statement. God is love. Whoa. All right. But then it moves on and it moves on. And we're talking about sin. We're talking about the devil. We're talking about the, these deceivers. But we're also talking about love and um, loving God and loving each other. And... The two big statements about God that we can, we can latch on to from this book are that God is light and God is love. And really everything that John has to say about God, has to teach us, can, it, it revolves around those two big ideas. Okay? He is writing. He tells us a number of times the reason he's writing. And there are several reasons that he's writing. The first is chapter 1, verse 4. He says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And the completion of their joy in that verse is referring to his audience's inclusion in their fellowship with the Father and the Son. We saw him. We saw what life is about. God became a man. I wrote a whole gospel about it. John says, go read it. It's a good book. And I'm writing these things to you so that you could know that if you've believed in him, you have eternal life. That's another thing he says at the end of the book. He says, I'm writing these things to those who believe. He's not necessarily writing this book to get us to believe. He wrote a gospel to get people to believe. He's writing this letter to those who believe so that they would know how this all works out in life. What does it mean now that you believe? What does life look like now that you have believed in Jesus? And we talked a lot when we studied John's gospel about what that means to believe. Right? It really means to, to become immersed in that thing. You believe in something, you, are, you become totally captured by it. You don't just check it off on a list of, you know, it's not just like a multiple choice. What is your faith? Muslim, Christian, Buddhist? What a, it's not just a multiple, it's this thing is not just a fact about my life. It is the entirety of my life. This thing that I believe and I've become part of it, and it's become part of me. 
And it's who I am. It is now my identity. So if you have done that and, and the process by which well, you believe and then what happens when you believe, according to John, is you are born again or you're born from above. I don't know if we talked much about that when we studied. Do we talk any about being born again or it's the same? It's interchangeably born again or born from above, but it's basically reborn. Your life is started over. You have a new life. And that's very, very, very important to understand what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, and anyone who went to youth on Wednesday night should be, should be prepared to, to dive in here. Last week we left off, we talked a lot about walking in the light. The implications of the fact that God is light. He comes and he reveals everything about us. He, it, we cannot hide. There is no darkness that can stand before the light. And so when that happens, when the light comes, then we're left wondering, so what, how do we deal with this sin thing now that the light has exposed, that the light has revealed in our lives? Well, he says, well, what you don't want to do is try and cover it up or try and deny it. You, what you want to do is you confess it and turn from it and ask for forgiveness and you receive forgiveness and you receive cleansing. And that results in then true fellowship with each other. John's gospel in chapter three, he talks about how the light has come, but people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Right? And he says, well, yes, that's true. And that's why the light came. But that's, we don't stay in that, in that state. We come and we throw ourselves on the mercy of God and we say, yes, I have sinned. And I believe you and I receive uh, your forgiveness. And so when that happens, we are born again. And so this process of being born again means that we are now living a new kind of life. We've entered into eternal life. And that's what John writes his letter to explain. Really, the, the letter in so many ways is explaining how eternal life started when you were born again. Eternal life does not start when you die. And he's saying, we have lives to live out in this world. And the way that we live our lives matters in this world. It's very important that we live our lives in line with the truth in this life. And that we don't just wait around to be taken to some sort of spirit world somewhere. Why is it important? This is all... This, this all, all these ideas are rolling around. He's trying to correct some errors in doctrine about who Jesus is. About Jesus' humanity. Jesus did come in the flesh. I mean, he, he opens up with guns blazing. We touched it. We saw it. We looked on it. He came in the flesh. He was as man as man gets. And so he's saying, Jesus isn't an idea. Jesus is a person, and he's a man. He was fully man. And so what that means is if you've truly believed that, then what you live isn't just an idea. It's not just something you can say about yourself. It encompasses all of who you are and all the way that you live. 
That is your walk. Okay? So he says, I'm writing these things to you who believe so that you would know that you have eternal life. And so many times he's referring to things that have happened to believers. It has happened. And he talks about the promises of God is eternal life. No, he said that you would have eternal life. And so I'm telling you, if you've believed, you live a new kind of life. You live in advance the life of the age that is to come. This golden time when, when everything is as it should be that we hope for, he says, we live it now in the midst of this world. And the world hates you when you do that, by the way. The world hates when people start to live out this new life. The world can't love you. Why? Because it's in love with itself. And so when you come and you say, life is to love God and to pour out your life for your brothers. The world says, no, life is about what you desire and how you want to, how you want to look, what your flesh craves, what your eyes crave, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what the world is about. And so when a life is reborn... When a life is turned from sin outward to love, the world goes, what is this? It's out of place. It's a fish out of water. So I want to talk about this new life, the, 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 the facts of the new life, um, because John describes it in a couple of different ways. And then next week, I want to talk about how this new life and this is kind of how he, he closes the letter, how it's a life of overcoming, that the discrepancy between eternal life and the way of the world is made pretty clear once people start actually living and walking around like Jesus did. And the world begins to hate you. But there is, there is a victory in that life, and we overcome. And in fact, we are called to live a victorious life in this present age. So we'll talk about the, the overcoming and the victory that belongs to eternal life. Uh, but tonight I just want to talk about, well, the fact that Christians don't sin. Right? So this is one of my favorite things to do, uh, especially when we come to First John. I asked all the youth on Wednesday night, I said, okay, who believes that Christians do sin. Oh, no, I said, do Christians sin? Who believes the answer is yes? And everyone hey, went, Whew. And I said, who believes the answer is no? And this is some, you know, I have to admit, yes, guys, it's, it's something of a trick question. But it, it tells us a lot about the way that we understand the new life, eternal life. And I think it actually reveals places in our lives where our theology is off. Where these errors may have crept in. Right? When John was saying, no, listen, a life, he says in chapter 3, 
Let no one deceive you. Or he says, uh, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That's a pretty remarkable statement. And we are so quick. We are so quick to say, no, but Christians sin. And even use some of the verses in the beginning of John to say, see, he says, anyone that says that I haven't sinned, you know, etc. What I like to, 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 the question I like to pose to us is, all right, do Christians sin? Yes. That's what, that's what we usually say. And then I say, do Christians hate each other? No. Why is the answer different in those two things? I mean, that's, and that's John's entire point. Do Christians love? Yes. Do Christians murder? No. Do Christians sin? Yeah. Why do we say that? And I'm not interested in getting into an argument about sanctification or Christian perfection or any, any kind of theological debate. I'm merely interested in why that is. Why, when we describe, when we are associating aspects of the Christian life, there are certain things that are, no, no way. No, we don't hate each other. That's the opposite of what a Christian is, right? Do we sin? Yeah, we sin. Why, why do we do that? Why do we associate, oh yeah, we generally, Christians generally, they, they, they you know, they sin all the time. We're, we're, we're humans. Because I think the reason that happens is often due not to a theological, you know, a 18th century theological debate, but a much more ancient theological debate about whether Jesus really was a man. Because what John comes to say is that there is a kind of life that is God's very life. It's God as he designed life. And that's what he's always been after. That's what he created humans to live. That's what he himself has been living from eternity past. And he created humans. They fell away from that. They became ensnared through the deception of the devil. They became ensnared to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that started to be the foundation on which human life was built. God said, all right, well, we're going to have to do something about this. He tried flooding it, 
and saving just one family and starting over with that family. And that somewhat worked, but not ultimately. (laughs) Wickedness grew again. But God had a plan. God knew all along that he was going to come down into this world to become a man. And so when that happened, when that happened, when Jesus came into the world, life changed. It says that he appeared in chapter 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he did. He destroyed the works of the devil. Unless you think that he's just an idea and not actually a man. You see where see what I'm talking about? I am not concerned that when people say, oh yeah, Christians sin, that they have missed on some sort of nuanced theological thing. I'm concerned that they don't think highly enough of Jesus and the work that he accomplished. Because to... Because to, to say, to associate sin as a characteristic, as a general characteristic of, of Christian life, is to kind of miss the whole point <laughs> of what Jesus came to do. Any sin, we should say, no, it's not, it does not belong in the life of a Christian. It doesn't belong. That's not, that's not part of the deal. Now, John says, if we sin, right? He doesn't say things like, he doesn't get into the weeds, the, 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 the arguments that we might conjure up in our head, like, well, so then if you sin after you are a Christian, then if you got hit by a bus right then, before you could ask God, then would you go to heaven or hell? Even that, even that is built on Bad theology. Those questions are bad, are built on bad theology. Does that make sense? And the bad theology is that what matters most is what happens after I die. That's the bad theology. What matters most is what happens after I die, after my body dies. Well, your body's only going to be dead in the ground for a little while. Then it's coming back to life. (laughs) And then you're going to be judged based on what you did with your body. This is basic Christian teaching. The resurrection of the body is a basic Christian teaching. The judgment of Christ is a basic Christian teaching. And so John is saying, listen, there are people going around kind of brushing off the fact that we have now been invited into a kind of life that is totally different than what humans have been up to for, the, for several thousands of years. It's different now. Life on this earth is different. And where it did have to include sin, it doesn't anymore. 
Because those powers that held us in bondage have been dealt with. He destroyed the power of the devil. Now, I believe that probably sometime between now and 2054, it's a random year, that I will sin in all likelihood. I say that because I'm a very humble person. And I may sin between now and 2054. <laughs> I, hope, I hope we can get the, the humor here. All right. I am not saying that Christians never sin. I'm not saying that sin means you're not a Christian. Those are questions we invent. Those are questions we demand of the text... Those are places we want to take the conversation. It's not the place where John takes the conversation. The place that John takes the conversation is, we saw life. We saw it. It was amazing. It was like nothing we've ever seen before. God became a man and lived as a man perfectly. He did it. And now we can live that life. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? That if you believe that he did that, and you place all of your trust in that fact, that your life can be like that too. Well, I'm just a human. Not anymore! You're not anymore! Humanity has been redefined. And his name is Jesus. You are not just a human anymore. And to say that you are is to deny that Jesus came in the flesh. That's what John is saying. There are people who go around and they say, yeah, you know, the body is the body. Some people, you know, you got the Epicureans, they want to just please the flesh. You got the Stoics, they want to kill the flesh. Those are all just all about the flesh. Jesus wants... To redeem your entire person and let you live as a man, as a woman, in the way that you were created to live. This is always what he's, been, what he's always wanted. And people get so upset when you say that Christians don't sin. And they get all caught up in the defenses and the arguments and the, and the what ifs. And the attention is on something that is not Jesus. The debates rage on, and Jesus stands off to the side. (laughs) Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you ready to start living? And if we are focused on, if we are focused on, I want to do what I want to do. I want to look the way that I want to look. And I still want to call myself a Christian. That's really what I think those arguments, those, those debates revolve around. I want to give concession to 
the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life somewhere. But he says, there is that, and then there is life. And you can't live in this and have life. What is life? It's Jesus. Did Jesus sin? No. And so the Christian life is a life lived after the pattern of Jesus. Do Christians sin? No. I think the answer is no. Now, you can modify it, yes, and John does as well. But see, so what happened? If you sin, are you not a Christian? Again, that's about a label. That's about being able to say something about yourself. And John says, who cares what you say about yourself? Right? We want to do things and still say certain things about ourselves, about our Christian walk. And he says, it doesn't matter what you say. Is your life God's or is it not? Period. Is your life like Jesus or is it not? And if it's not there yet, but you really are, that's great. Anything between you and that, God can deal with that. But our, our, our passion shouldn't be, but what if I sin and I don't have a chance to repent? And then I get hit by a bus. I'm pretty sure that the, that the creator of the universe can sort that out. I'm pretty sure he knows your heart. All right? If we sin, we've got an advocate with the Father. You've got to believe that God is for you. He's for you in this process of coming out of the world and into light. And as you come out of the world and into light, he's going, yes, Father, yes, look. Here they come. Oh, forgive them, Father. Forgive them. They're coming back into the family. And you're out there waiting for them to come. They've been eating with the pigs. And here they come. Father, forgive them. Yes. Here they come. The prodigal son (laughs) wasn't asking, yeah, but on my way to my father's house, if some chariot comes down the hill and runs over me, before I have a chance to really say what I want to say to my dad, What's going to happen? No, he was like, I got to get to dad's house. I got to, I need to go back. I need to repent. Are you with me? And I say it like this, and, and, and I, I, I push back on people who say that Christians generally sin. Not because I think that humans are anything special. Not because I'm a believer in human effort and you just got to grit your teeth and not sin. Don't sin. Oh, yeah. All right. Pump each other up. Not at all. The reason I get so fired up about it is also not because I like theological debates. The reason I get fired up about it is because there's there's a darkness and a deception that creeps in and hinders people from realizing the incredible new life that Jesus has ushered in. Eternal life. This is why John wrote his letter. 
so that you may know that you guys who believe, you have eternal life. You have eternal life. You have the life of the age to come. You have life where everything is perfect. That's the life that you are living in. That's the life that you are being transformed into. It's amazing. And so, no, don't go around and continue to sin. Of course not. That's not eternal life. Sin's going to be cast into hell. God's going to gather up everything that is not eternal life, and it's going to be all tossed out with the trash. And we will live in this place. And so, all right. Let's come down a couple notches. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Yes, there's a deep, deep problem with the human race. And Jesus fixed it. Jesus fixed it. He's not going to fix it when he comes back. He fixed it already. Now we're coming down a couple notches. No one born of God, right? When that process occurs in your life, Paul would call it, it being buried with Christ. Right? This is the same as Romans 6, 7, and 8. This is really what we're preaching here. When that process occurs in your life, this is why I get so passionate. Something incredible happens. Something incredible happens. You aren't kind of, you aren't kind of blessed, kind of fixed. I got this little kind of happy thing now going on. No. Everything that kept you out of pure, blissful relationship with the Father has been dealt with and done away with. And now there is nothing between you and him. And that is the most deeply satisfying and amazing experience that you could ever have as a human. Experiencing fellowship with God. Because it's you, what you were created for. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So he gets around it to this. The other thing that we get hung up on is, well, what's a sin? What's a sin? Is sin like in immaturity? Uh, I mean, what are we talking about here? And that's also kind of missing the point. Because the point isn't, what, what can we not do? The point is, how do we now live as he lives? How do we love him with our whole heart? This is, has always been the commandment. How do we love God with our whole heart and love our neighbor as ourself? It's the greatest commandment. It's the fullness of human life. To love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself. So you could do this. You can live this life now. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. And this is, a, this is an amazing 
illusion here that he draws. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? And you've got to go back and read the story. Cain and Abel were both bringing God offerings. They were both making religious gestures to God. Cain's wasn't exactly what God was looking for. And God told him. And Abel's was pleasing to God. And people have talked about, you know, Cain, he was bringing produce. Abel was actually bringing animal sacrifice. There was something more costly in Abel's. The point is that God came to Cain and said, that's not, that's not right. And Cain, it says his face had fallen. And God says, Cain, why has your face fallen? If you do well, Great. Basically, what happened is the light came into Cain's life. And he did not like what the light exposed in his heart. So God says, but be careful. Sin is crouching at the door, but you've got to rule over it. And so Cain goes out, and he doesn't really believe what God said doesn't really obey what God said. He goes out and he finds Abel, gets angry with him, and kills him. And God says, where is Abel? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? So this whole love of the brothers thing is like deeply embedded in that story. The answer is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. And why would you kill him when, it, when the problem is with you? And I told you how to fix it already. But no, I can't stand that God loves him or that he has a kind of life that I want, but I don't want, I don't want to do what this kind of life requires. So I'm going to kill him. That's the world. That's what the world does. And that is not what the sons of, of God do. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And that's something we call, well, duh. But you could say, but no one who does any, no one who walks in any kind of sin is really walking in eternal life. Because sin is not a part of eternal life. All right? But then he goes on and he begins to define more clearly what he means. I don't think he means ticky tack offenses, he means things that are done after the pattern of the world, things that are done. To please myself. Things that are done to boast my image among people. If I'm building on that foundation but I'm saying I'm, I'm living eternal life, it's not true. But if I'm, I, if I'm laying down my life, if I'm giving over my life to God and I'm seeking to love my brothers, that is walking in love. And sin is not a part of the equation in that, in that kind of life. Now, you may become aware of things as, as the light shines brighter. You may become aware of things. And again, John gives us a way to deal with that. Christ gives us a way to deal with that. When the light reveals darkness in us, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and to, and to continue to bring us into and keep us in fellowship with himself. So if anything, seeking to stop sinning means seeking to love your brother more fully. And if our hearts are set on loving, so there's a connection between sin and love. 
Do Christians love each other? Yes. Obviously. That is what, that is what life is about. Sin is not a part of that equation. Sin is unloving. It separates us from God and it separates us from each other. So I want you to connect, and maybe when you read through this week, connect chapter 3, verse 1 through, or 4 through 10, which is where he really talks about, hey, if you live in eternal life, sin's no longer really a part of the equation. And then, he's, and then he says in chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, he says equally stark things, but they're much more palatable to us because he's not talking about sin. He's talking about love. Right? But he's saying the same thing with different words, and we've got to close the gap in our minds. We can't deal with sin in one way and deal with love in another way because they're two sides of the same coin. That's the whole point. What is sin? Well, it's breaking the commandments of God. What are the commandments of God? To love him, right? And this is what John keeps coming around to. So listen, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Yeah, man. (laughs) If you don't love... You don't know God because God is love. Peace. If you sin, you don't know God. Whoa! It's the same thing. It is the same thing. And we have to get it through our minds. Not these... And we, I, don't know, I don't know why we take it to where we go in our minds. I don't know why, but it happens. And it, there's something off in our theology when it, when it does. And I don't mean theology in the academic sense. I mean the fact that what you think about God determines the way you live. Period. And the way you live displays what you think about God. I mean, that's just that is a major point of this book. The way you live demonstrates what you think about God. If you walk in sin, that demonstrates a certain thought that you have about God, idea that you have about God, particularly Jesus and the meaning of his life, the meaning of his work. That's why everything boils down to he's, no, you've got to understand who Jesus is. If you don't love, you don't know God because God is love. If you sin, you don't know God because God's not sin. It's the same exact thing. In this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And it comes down to this. So go down to verse 20 and verse 4. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God 
whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, is everyone confused and bothered? Or do you under, are, you, are, you, are you tracking with what I'm saying? I'm sa- I, I haven't answered a lot of questions that I myself still have. Right? Why is it? What, what are we to do with our struggle with sin? I mean, it, it, there's not this magical thing where we stop desiring to do the wrong thing altogether, all at once. Those things remain. How do we deal with those? I think the way we shouldn't deal with them is start off by saying, well, we're going to sin quite a bit. (laughs) That doesn't seem to head off in the right direction. (laughs) At least start by saying, well, the life of Jesus is the goal here. And he didn't sin and experienced all the human weaknesses that I experienced. He was on to something. I should probably learn from him how to be a human rather than tell him the way it goes in human body. Do you hear what I'm saying? When we put limits on what God can do in the human body, again, we are denying to some extent that God actually became a man. So these aren't just second, third, fourth century theological debates. These are deceptions that have gone out and have continued from the time of John until now. God came to transform human life in this world into what it was originally intended to be. And the most important question isn't what happens when you die. The most important question is how are you going to live until you die? How are you going to live until you die? Now, I've not said you've got to earn your salvation by never sinning. I've not said that. I've said the opposite. (laughs) I want us to dwell not on our weaknesses and shortcomings, but on the totality of the victory that Jesus won on the cross. Why put limits on that? One ought not put limits on that. He gave up his life. He suffered and died to destroy the things that hold us in bondage, to destroy the things that keep us in sin. He came into the world because of those things. So how should we view those things? And this is, I think, the path to victory. And so I have no problem saying, no, Christians don't sin. I've not said that I haven't sinned, that I don't sin, that I won't sin between now and when I get home. I haven't said any of that. But I have a high enough view of what God did in sending his son to not bring that down by saying, yeah, We can say we're Christians and we're going to sin all the time. We're just a bunch of sinners. 
that's not, that's not quite right. Now, we walk in humility. We're aware of our weaknesses. We regularly need to examine ourselves and humbly confess our sins to God and receive his forgiveness 100%. None of our holiness, none of our righteousness earns us any kind of salvation. Okay, so we can, we can put all those questions to rest. The question isn't really, what are you capable of? The question is, what did Jesus do? What did he accomplish? And do I believe that? Because he says that when you believe that, you have eternal life. You live life. And it's a life that's not in bondage to sin. And it's a life, even more than that, that is poured out in love for the people around you. It's not even obsessed with itself. It is outward focused. It is self-sacrificial. That's the life. And the world hates it. But that's life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have an inferior kind of life. You don't kind of have like an, a transitional life between now and when. You, no, you have eternal life. That's present tense. You've got it. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Let's rejoice in that. Let's tell ourselves that in the morning. The evil one cannot touch me. My sin has been broken. My sin is dealt with by the blood of Jesus. He became a man, and he was crucified to break the power of sin in my life. Do Christians sin? No. No. Because Jesus dealt with that. Jesus conquered sin. Will I sin today? That remains to be seen. <laughs> Do Christians sin? No. If Jesus is the Lord, of, if Jesus is who, he, who we, he says he is, no. If Christians are who Jesus says they are, the answer is no. Amen?